Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Thursday, November the 1st, 2012, and this is episode 1011 of the Survival Podcast. Uh, it just kind of sounds cool, 1011. Uh, anyway, we are going to have a cool show today. I am going to talk to you guys about what is modern survivalism really all about. I, I've had shows like this I've done in the past. People have always enjoyed them. Uh, but this is actually going to be different. This is going to be different than any way that we've ever broached this subject before. And I think it's important that we get into this subject once in a while as well. Because I do know that we have new listeners coming to the show all the time. And I think it's important that we address some of the fears and concerns those people have um, and, and get them in the right frame of mind so that we can actually build better lives. Because that's what this show is all about. It's building a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. And I'm going to try to help you do that today by working on the psychological side of things more than the material side of things. Because uh, we spend a lot of time on the material, mechanical side of things. But we need to really spend some time uh, on, the, uh, on the psychological side. Because it's really actually... In many ways, winning in your life is more about your behavior uh, than the stuff that you have or the amount of money that you have. It's more about the way you behave. Uh, it often leads to prosperity when we behave in an intelligent manner. And don't worry, I'm not going to give you a morals or le uh, ethics lecture today at all. I'm talk about how to think so you can make these decisions for yourself. Before we do that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today, the Free State Project. You'll find them at freestateproject.org. You know, what the whole saying with the Free State Project is, is liberty in our lifetime. Instead of waiting for some something to change, let's be changed. Let's create change. And the way they've chosen to do that is they've picked a state that's relatively small and try to bring as many people with a libertarian mindset as possible into that state and try to make it one of the most liberated free states in the Union. And that state is New Hampshire. Their other motto is vote with your feet. And you can vote in a lot of ways. You can vote with money. You can vote in a ballot box. But we can also vote in our feet. It's the foundation of a republic that if one state does something stupid or maybe does lots of things stupid, California, then maybe people will leave that state and go to states that do less things, uh, things that are less stupid and you know end up somewhere, oh, I don't know, like New Hampshire. And that's one way that we can vote with our feet, and that's one way we can support the Free State Project is to be part of it. I think that would be a great thing for many people to do. But for some of us, it's not in the cards. We can't you know, relocate to New Hampshire. It doesn't work for us in our lifestyles. That's okay, too. There's other ways you can support them. You can contribute to them financially. You can attend their events. You can tell other people about them. And in my case, what I do is I give them this sponsor slot on the show for free. So where other sponsors have to pay for their slot. This is my way of giving back to a cause that I believe in. That's the Free State Project. Again, they're at freestateproject.org. Next up today, uh, Harvest Eating, the awesome, the ridiculously awesome, honestly, Chef Keith Snow, who can teach you how to cook seasonally and locally and help you learn that cooking is a life skill. And those of you that have been asking if he'll be coming on the week of Thanksgiving again, yeah, and we're going to try to do it a little bit different. We're not sure yet. If you have any ideas or questions for Chef Keith Snow uh, revolving around Thanksgiving, specifically that don't... Um, particularly cover how to cook a turkey, let me know. Send me uh, an email that says uh, Thanksgiving for Keith. That'll be a good uh, little code word in the subject line. Thanksgiving for Keith. And, and maybe you can help us shape it. I mean, I would like to get into some of the other dishes, some of the other things, maybe some things that are like you have around that you'd like to put on the Thanksgiving table and you'd like to do something more than microwave them and throw some butter on them or something like that. I don't know. Uh, but we've done the Thanksgiving show with him two years in a row. It's been great. I think a lot of people have made a lot of really great turkeys. Uh, and we'll probably cover it, kind of the quick version of it. But if you want the long version of making your turkey perfect, there's two shows already. So we want to do something else. So that's a little sneak preview. But while you're waiting, man, get over to Keith's uh, website, HarvestEating.com. Get some of his seasonings, if nothing else. I made a uh, roasted pork shoulder, a Thai pork shoulder roast last night, uh, where I opened up the roast. And I just coated the inside and the outside with the low and slow barbecue, tied it up, and cooked it over uh, indirect heat on the uh, on the on my, my grill for about, oh, I'd say about a good three hours. And uh, even went off paleo a little bit yesterday, made up a little whole wheat uh, whole wheat uh, beer bread to go with it. 
Freaking fabulous, guys. That's, uh, that's the way to live a better life is to eat well as well as to, uh, to take care of ourselves in many other ways. Check out harvesteating.com. You'll learn a lot about that type of thing over there. Uh, next up, consider joining, uh, the member support brigade. If you do that, you, uh, help support the show at about 18.3 cents an episode or about 50 bucks a year. You'll get a great return on your investment. Uh, there'll be over 36 vendors you can get discounts from. Uh, there'll be some free material that you won't get anywhere else. And again, you'll be supporting the show, and I'll leave it at that today, because I want to get to today's uh, main subject. Um, yeah, I, I want to start out with kind of telling you what has me kind of, like, every once in a while I get like an ache that I have to discuss something, and I have to clear the air on something, and it's usually a combination of contacts from various places, and it's just, it kind of builds up, and then I got to vent it out, and I got to do it positively, or, you know, you might hear me really tweak out on the on the microphone someday if I don't. And here's the three places that this is coming from. Just about every day I get an email from some company that wants something from the TSP community. They all the times want to pay me to send all you guys an email or to do an ad or something. But generally it's around promoting some new gadget or gizmo or something like that. On occasion, it's cool. Right now, and, and the ones that are the coolest, they don't come to me. I end up going out and finding them and bringing it to you. Like... Uh, today when I get home, I am going to uh, shoot a little video with Dorothy on a thing called the Power Pot, which is a pot that when you cook on it, charges USB devices. Uh, cool. I mean, it, it, as soon as it gets hot, it starts charging. It works. I already tried it. And then the ne I have another product like that called the BioLite Stove. Um, and, and both of those were products that the, you guys asked about. So I went out and got product from both companies so I could review it for you. And that's fine. And there are some useful things. But I would say that like 9 out of 10 or more of the people that come to me and say, look what we have, look what we're doing, it's bullshit. It's crap. It's some repackaged shit that costs 10 times what it would cost to put it together yourself, or it's some kind of redo with a new spin on it, and it's usually, it usually is relating to some kind of hype or nonsense or fear-based marketing. And I usually tell those people two words, and the second one's off, and you can figure the first one out for yourself. Um, and then I also don't get this as much anymore because I pretty much used the phrase that I just, you know, mentioned with just about every major executive in the film production industry. Um, you know, from like, you know, Nat Geo and, and, and what have you with the doomsday genre shows. But these people, you know, they want to talk to you. And if you actually do talk to them on the phone, they do a good job of feigning that they're supportive of you and they understand you and they're just trying to tell your story. And they're so full of shit and they're so plastic. And they want to sensationalize and victimize people and put them out and make them look like nuts. Um, and, and, and that group of people, I, I, again, I hear from them occasionally now, but I think I've done a good enough job of basically telling them all to shove their head up their ass and leave me alone that I don't hear from them that much. The, what I get the most frequency though is I get about 200 to 500 emails a day and a good average is three to 400, but they can be real high or down low depending on what's going on. But there's always a handful every day and I've gotten to where I can't even answer them anymore. Except just to say, just keep listening to the show, and, and you're going to get out over this eventually. But there are people that are freaked the hell out. I mean, they're literally scared shitless. So these are usually people that were going about their happy-go-lucky way up until a very recent period in time, and something broke the cocoon around them of everything's super, everything's wonderful, everything's just fine. Um, a lot of times it has to do with the financial mess, but there's other things that creep into it. If these people have found Alex Jones before they found the Survival Podcast, some of them are damn near terminal with 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 the dumbass of fear. It, it really like almost like you're like I, was, I, I you know you really are going to have to just desensitize to this, get tired of it before you're in a state where I can help you. And, and those three groups of people. So we've got uh, salesmen and and marketers that want to sell their their rinky dink piece of crap for like ten times what it's worth. It, with fear-based marketing, we've got the doomsday prepper, doomsday this, doomsday that, producers that want to get contact with the audience. A lot of times, like, they've given up even talking to me. They want me to tell you that it, you should talk to them. And I haven't found anybody that I'm willing to tell you I trust yet that way. So I tell them, you know, the off phrase. And then we've got the, the listener, the new person that just found the show that's freaked out. And they seem very, very different. But they're not. They all have the same problem. They, they have no idea what survivalism is. None of them do. 
None of them do. And, and before I can even answer that, I got to start out with debunking the most bullshit statement in kind of the prepper niche, survivalist niche. The statement is, I'm not a prepper, I'm a real survivalist. Those people are not survivalists, they're assholes. They're delusional assholes uh, that believe that one day they're going to fight the second American Revolution with their AR uh, and they're going to live on tree bark or whatever stupid nonsensical bullshit uh, that they're talking about. Um, I believe that what we do here is indeed real survivalism. Um, being adversarial towards other people, uh, attempting to, pr pr to uh, promote an image that you're stronger than other people when you're, you're really not, uh, making threatening statements, uh, being an isolationist, etc., Uh, being argumentative all the time and stating that your way is the only way, that's not survivalism. That's a good way to end up incarcerated or dead or at least despised. Okay, None of the three actually further your goal of surviving. So those people, and, and not everybody that's tactical or tough or hard or lives out in a remote area is in that group. In fact, I, I live out in a remote group. I like to think I'm a pretty tough guy when it comes down to it. I got plenty of tactical toys. I don't have anything against that. You know what I'm talking about with that attitude. That attitude of, well, they're a prepper and I'm a survivalist and we need more survivalists and less preppers and that shit, right? They're full of shit because their behavior is not conducive towards survivalism. And I'm not afraid to use the word survivalism. People say to me, are you survivalist? And I'm like, well, I hope you are too. And what do you mean? Well, would you get out of the way of a truck that was about to run you over? Yeah, well, then your survival is important to you, right? Yeah, well, you're a survivalist. A survivalist, by the very nature of the word, would be a person who puts a premium on making sure that they're able to survive, right? Not fighting a war, right? Fighting a war, in case you haven't read your history books, is a great way to end up dead, The best wars are the ones that are never fought. The wars that end without a shot being fired are the most productive wars in the history of mankind. There's only a few of them. The ones that occurred were pretty productive for society. So the whole statement on its face is bullshit. And this is where all the confusion comes from. That there's this modus operandi that a person has to operate under to be a survivalist. And then we've created this, this little softer word of prepper. And, and then we're going to delineate between the two. It, it, it's, it's all bullshit. Because the guy that defines survivalism as being the guy with his gun in the woods is going to eventually be an old, sorry-ass, broke-down man like every human being eventually ends up being. Unless he gets killed by a bear or a rock falls on his head or he mounts off the wrong person that decides that they've had enough of him. If he makes it long enough, eventually he's going to reach a point in his life where he can't function under what he's now called. So is he, is he going to tell you then that he's not? Well, I'm not anymore either because I can't do that. You know, I'm a retired survivalist or some other nonsense. It's nonsensical. Survivalism is universal to the human condition. And it's, it's the exact same concept whether somebody's practicing it by being basically a primitive farmer homesteader or somebody's practicing it by being a modern hunter-gatherer hunter or just living their life in the day-to-day -day grind of America a little bit differently. It's all survivalism and I will not let the media nor the assholes bastardize the word. I will claim the word for the rest of us who simply say, we believe that surviving is an innate human right. We choose to exercise it. So that's what survivalism is. I would say it's real survivalism, but because I am a bit of a marketer myself and I want people to get a feel for what I'm talking about before I get the opportunity like I have today to explain it, I've called it modern survivalism. And modern survivalism to me means that we take everything that's available to us. We don't shit on technology. Hell no. Technology is great stuff. That's why people have invented technology for as long as people have been people. That's why people that figured out to make a Clovis point were more successful than people who didn't. That's technology. 
That's why when we look at you know the way a field is harvested today, and we see all the automation, and we go, uh, that's that's you know that's bad, or or we just think you know we without that we couldn't do anything. Maybe we need to look back at the Victorian era, and there's a show I'm watching now, Victorian Farm, and watch a farmer with a horse pull a combine that that functions you know pretty much the same way. There's a little smaller. Right, but pretty much functions the same way for anybody put a motor in it, and understand that technology is with us. It's going to be with us. It's going to evolve, and yes, it will fail, but will also be rebuilt. Because as humans, once we know something's possible, we're pretty damn persistent at using it. So that's why I call it modern survivalism. Now. It's like go forward. I got to tell you what my real goals for the nation are, and, and you know I'm U.S. centric, but we are a global show, and I, I mean this for everybody in the world. But as an American, I focus first. You know, as, as a citizen, I focus first on my backyard. So when I look at a statement of a nationality size statement, I focus first on my nation. And my goal for America is to restore America to a nation where preparedness is considered a virtue. That when people see a person that's prepared, instead of mocking them or being arrogant about it or saying they're crazy, that they say that's that's admirable. And you know it, we're not that far away from that, guys. I grew up in the '70s and the '80s, and I'm telling you that that's as far back as you have to go in our history. It's only the late '80s, the '90s, and the 2000 period here. It's only this last kind of internet age. Where we've decided that's not a virtue anymore. That's not a lot of that's not a lot of history to fight to change things back to to the way that they used to be. There, we don't have to get rid of the technology. We don't have to get rid of everything we've learned. I, in fact, it would be a, a, a tragedy to do so. But we can bring back the morality of preparedness. Being prepared is the most moral decision you can make as a citizen of a republic. Seriously, think about it. Your job in a republic, as I keep saying, is to be a sentinel, to be a watchman over the republic, in whatever capacity that you can do that. And that means at times, yes, to be your brother's keeper. That means to pick the, your fellow citizen up when they've fallen. If you can't stand, you can't pick anybody up. And if you're not prepared, as soon as disaster strikes, you cannot stand. Now you can be knocked down even when you're prepared. But wouldn't it be nice to know that the average fellow American that you have is prepared as well, so they can pick you up? I don't talk a lot about religion on this show. I'm not a religious man, but I'll tell you what: I see wisdom wherever it is. I have no borders when it comes to seeing wisdom, and that's one big deal within the LDS Church, the Mormons. That preparedness aspect there. Is there so you, not just so you can make it yourself, so that you can help others? That's something we need in America. That's my goal: to restore the morality around being prepared to stand, so that we can once again be sentinels and watchmen over our republic. We don't have to agree on what needs to be done in government, but we need to be involved. And the silent majority, the 50% that don't vote because they don't like either either candidate, instead of all of you telling me why we have to support the lesser of two evils, that 50% can change everything. But they won't do it until they can stand. You won't do it until you can stand, and that's why I'm trying to teach people to stand for themselves first. If you can stand for yourself. Then you can stand for others. It's not selfish. We've twisted words and made that which is moral into something that is perceived to be immoral. They like to take care of yourself first. That's 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 greedy. That's selfish. That's bullshit. How can you take care of anyone else if you yourself cannot stand? When you have a problem and you can't fix it yourself, and you call a friend, you call a friend that's incompetent. That's an idiot. That's a moron. That's dead broke. That's out on their ass smoking dope in a freaking gutter. Or do you call the most competent person you can to address the problem that you have? If your car's messed up and you can't afford to go to a garage and you have a friend's a mechanic and you have another friend who's a computer programmer, who are you more likely to call? 
Why? Because the mechanic can stand and be a mechanic. They can address the problem. Well, if the problem is your neighbor's hungry, you can't address the problem if you have no food. If the problem is that some family in your community is dead broke, if the rest of the community has no money, they can't help them out. You see how it works. That's why that's my goal. And it's why I, I try to state right from the beginning with people that the most dangerous thing you can do when it comes to preparing is to be a reactionary prepper. If you are prepping out of a reaction, it will always be dangerous and counterproductive and you'll do stupid shit. Because we do not behave rationally, intelligently, and we do not act with authority when we react in fear. Fear is a very necessary emotion. But it's necessary about maybe less than 1% of our life experiences necessitate fear. Fear is, here's a truck, I don't want to get run over. Fear is, huh, let's see, fear could be, this guy's an ass, but he's a 400-pound steroid-infused freak, so I'm not going to start a fight with him, because even though he's an ass, he's going to beat the shit out of me. Right? These are, these are decisions where fear is a good guide. And we can think of many of them. But the reality is, if I place you in a constant state of fear for long enough, I'll give you a heart attack. I'll kill you. So if that's true, then if we're in a state of fear, even a moderate state of fear, throughout most of our lives, we increase stress and we decrease our life expectancy. So if you're prepping in fear, if you're acting in fear, if there's fear inside of you, at times where there should not be, right? then you're actually reducing your likelihood of survival in many situations. And you'll do dumbass shit. You'll order $10,000 worth of freeze-dried food you've never tried before. You'll stick it in your garage, and you'll sit there and look at it, and one day you'll go, gee, I wish I had my $10,000 back. Gee, this was the dumbest, stupidest thing I've ever done. And then you'll never be prepared. You'll fall out. That's what happens when people do it out of reaction. And the only way we can decouple from these fear-based actions is to replace the fear with something else. It's very permaculture-like. So a permaculture principle is, if I have a space, and in that space, whatever I want to call a weed continues to grow, and it's a genuine weed, it's something I really do not want there. And I want that weed to go away. Reactionary is to spray it with something that will kill it. And long term, that will never be good for the ecosystem. And honestly, even if I use an organic herbicide, if I kill it, what will likely happen is another weed that's more adaptive to whatever I've done will replace it. So the only way I can make that weed no longer be a problem is I either have to channel it and decide I really don't hate that weed and it can become a source of mulch and a dynamic accumulator, or I have to occupy the space where the weed is with something I do want. I have to disadvantage the weed in a spatial situation to something. So I plant something I actually want to be there. That's the only way to actually deal with that weed. Anything else I do is giving a person with a headache an aspirin. Here's a, here's a fact for you. Headaches are not a deficiency in aspirin. There's a cause. Till we address the cause, we've only treated the symptom. So with reactionary fear-based prepping, the only way that we can decouple from it is not to deny it or hide it, it's to replace it. It's the only way we can do it. And we have to replace it with power. The, the, the opposite of fear is courage. And courage is driven by power and knowledge and logic that I can deal with whatever comes my way. And that's what... The people in the media do not understand. The people that want to sell product have a hard time figuring out how to address. And the person who's had their cocoon of normalcy bias shattered, all three of them don't understand that. They don't get it. They don't get it. that That's the one thing the asshole survivalist does have going for him. I will do this. I just don't have a logical path to get it done. That's what we can learn from even that group. Courage. Determination. 
power, logic. These are the weapons of a modern survivalist. And we do have to, though, be honest about true threats. If there's no threat, then, then, then what we're doing is pointless. So we have to balance that power and courage without going back into a state of, I just don't have to worry, it's going to be fine. I don't have to worry about it. It's a storm, but if the storm's in the Northeast, and I live in Florida, and it missed us, so it strafed us. I, I, you know, we can't be that way. You have to accept the fact that there are natural disasters, man-made disasters, and legitimate threats to our liberty by our very own government. All of those things, the things that, that get pointed out by that hardcore group of people that I call assholes, they're not wrong. They're just so reactionary to them. They're reactionary to the opposite extreme. They're looking for a fight when there isn't one. Okay? And those of you that are in, you know, put yourself in that group and you're thinking, that's not me, that's not me. Guess what? You're not in that group. Stop saying you are. But we have to be able to honestly look and go, okay, um, we're in a very precarious situation with the, the, the number of people on this planet and the resources that we have. And yes, while I think most of the peak oil people are Bat shit crazy. I think they're also right. It's a timeline situation, and that is a problem we're going to have to address. We have to address the problems with our environment. We have to address the problems with our economy. We have many things that are legitimate threats. This economy will cascade into failure at some point, and who knows exactly how they'll 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 kind of try to hit a reset button, but they will, and and life will continue. But if you just live life as though that's not a possibility, you're going to get really hurt when it happens. Trust me, the people that think when it happens that having a big MasterCard uh, bill will be a good thing, it's not. It's not going to work out because it never has for anybody. It just it, It's never worked, ever. And things that have never worked before are not likely to work now unless you find a new way to do them. And folks, people doing that don't have a new way at all. They're doing the same shit that's been done for as long as there's been banks and lending. So the way that we get there, the way that we get this done is we... You know, the way we replace the fear with courage, the way we replace being reactionary with being proactive, and the way we understand the threats but still use common sense is to first understand our own needs. If we understand what we really need to survive, then we can put redundancies in place for those six primary needs. And once we've done that, we might create additional redundancies for those, those six needs. And when we've done that, we might even create another place with those redundancies in place, like a bug-out location, so that no matter what happens, we always have fallbacks. And as you do that, every time you put another brick in that wall of preparedness, the less fear that you have. Sure, they're out there with catapults, but the concrete is 90 feet thick now. Good luck. Go ahead. You're going to lay siege to the place? I don't care. This is a metaphor, guys. You understand it, right? You know, it's a metaphor. Got everything I need right here. So what are those needs? What are those six needs we need to make sure we're addressing? We need to address the food need. There's a lot of ways to do that. I'm not going to go over food storage today in depth or anything like that. But we, if we can address that, and we know that we're going to eat tomorrow, our children are eat, going to eat tomorrow, and the people that we care the most about and love are going to eat tomorrow, and there's even maybe a little bit more so we can feed the old lady at the end of the road, then any fear that we won't be able to feed ourselves goes away without the narcissistic, absent-minded, bullshit belief that the grocery store will always be open. Because, see, it, it, it can't be that. We can't replace the fear of not being able to feed ourselves with a false belief that it will always be okay. We have to replace the fear that we may not be able to feed ourselves or our children with concrete reality that, no, that's not the case because here's the redundancy. So we do that with our food through storage, through growing our own food, through saving money, so that when there is still food in the economy but we've lost a job, we can still buy food, we can still barter for food, we can still trade food, we build up food in our neighborhoods with barter between our neighbors and different people growing different things. Whatever it is, we build up that redundancy. Water. Water is so prevalent in America that people have no idea how precious it is. There, there are not that many nations where almost anywhere you go, where there's houses, you can walk inside and turn a knob and water comes out. And pretty much, and there are some isolated pockets, but pretty much in most of America, either due to a well or a dam or city supply or something, 
When you turn on the water, it comes out. And water isn't anywhere near in the shortage that people that want to make a big deal of it say that it is when it comes to that type of water. Agricultural water in marginal lands that probably shouldn't be agricultural lands in the first place, pumping fossil aquifers, that's an issue. That's a problem. But the, the basic availability of water is not a problem until the systems that deliver it fail. There's a lot of ways they can fail. So we need to have water stored. We need to have a way to purify water. We need to have a way uh, to filter water. And if we have those things, we can probably come up with water just about anywhere. And we have to be situationally aware with this. I would be storing a lot more water if I were a person living in the desert in Arizona than a person living in, let's say, Florida. Boy, you can do a lot with rain catchment in Florida. You really can. You don't even have to have a very sophisticated system. There's a lot of rain to work with there over a full season. There can be droughts. There can be times that are relatively dry. But sooner or later, that's, those tropical systems come through there and it rains. You know, So we have to think about these things. How much water do I really need where I'm at? How much water do I need for myself, my family, my animals, my crops if I'm growing things? And sometimes we have to make a decision about our geography based on that. Just, But if we address it, Now, the fear that I could lose water, the availability of water, is gone, not because I believe the tap will always run, but because I've replaced it with a redundancy. We need shelter. I think a lot of people have learned that maybe fearing that you might lose your home recently is a real fear. They've learned it from a variety of things. 2011, the greatest tornado outbreak in the history of America. We just had Hurricane Sandy. Very little needs to be said there. Um, we had Hurricane Isaac just a few years ago down in South Texas. Uh, I mean, we've seen storms do it. But how about the millions of Americans who were told by the bank, get out. They've lost their shelter. So we need to create redundancy with shelter. This is why one of the reasons why I think bug out locations are really great ideas that nobody ever talks about. If you build a little place for cash or very low cost, low financing charges, whatever, a little cabin somewhere or something like that that's a getaway. And if everything else fails, if it's well stocked, even if it's something stupid like you're broke and you're going to be broke for a long time and you can't find a job, at least you have a place to go live. Now, that's not always the redundancy that we can put in place. Not everybody wants to do that or can do that or has the means to do that. But if you have a cost of living to stay in your home, We can address the fear with practical things like insurance so that if it is destroyed by flood or fire or wind or, or what have you, that there's money and a system in place so that we can at least repair what was lost and reclaim what was lost. But we can also self-insure to a degree because there isn't really good insurance to pay your bills while you're when you've lost a job. right? You can get, you know, if you're hurt, you can get disability. If you're unemployed, you can get unemployment insurance. But most of us are not going to live in a way that's so meager that we could be on unemployment for two years and pay 100% of the bills on a, on a daily going rate, even if we're saving a lot of money. We're still not going to be able to do that. But if we save up cash, we stop fearing holding some cash, we have 90 days of income, And any kind of other redundancy, we can probably live not exactly the same way, but pretty decently for a year or two, if there's any type of supplemental insurance in place. So now we've addressed the shelter need from another way. If we get serious about our debt, and once we pay off all our debt, start focusing on our house, and we get our house to the point where the only thing we need to pay to stay in our house is the electric bill and any other utilities and the property taxes, our redundancy and resiliency for remaining in our shelter is much higher. And again, if we start to understand that creating these secondary dwellings is a great idea, if we do it smart and right and long term, and that you know, if they're done right, they can become better and better over time and handed down through a family as part of family legacy. Because it's that hunting cabin in the woods or it's that place to go fishing in the summer or whatever it is, it's always there to fall back on. And now the fear that we could lose a place to lay our head at night is gone. With energy, 
Short-term and long-term addressment of the situation. Short-term is generators, etc. You can only run generators for so long unless you're getting like into the really serious generators that are, are probably, your money's probably spent better other ways. But if we start addressing this through some backup power, we have some great stuff coming for you on backup power, guys. I, I've given Steve Harris a challenge that he is just, I mean, he, he, he liked the idea when he heard it. And then when he got into it, he was he's like stoked. He's sending me all kinds of stuff now. Wait till we have the backup uh, power, battery backup power show that we're going to do in December. It will blow you guys away. We address it from that standpoint. That's a much more long-term solution. You know, I'm, I'm going to have a backup power solution for you guys in that show that as long as there's enough gas to let your vehicle idle for an hour a day, you'll have power and, and you're not going to be running, you know, big air conditioners or anything, but you'll have some power. But energy is not just electricity, right? In wilderness survival, when you learn these, there's five they teach you in wilderness survival, and I've added a six, and it probably should get added to wilderness survival as well, except that when I get to it, you'll understand why it generally isn't. Energy is the replacement word for fire in wilderness training. Okay, so food, water, shelter, fire. Replaced it with energy. So fire still works as an energy source. So if I live in a cold climate where it gets really cold, but I put in a wood stove or a fireplace insert or anything like that, and then I stack up two or three cords of wood, my fear of not having enough energy to cook with and to keep my home warm is gone. There's no more fear there. That need is addressed, and it's addressed with redundancies. Generator, backup power, maybe some solar, uh, wood stove. Wood burning something, right? Kerosene heaters, propane heaters, whatever it is that we need, we put the system in place. Now the fear of being without that, it's gone. Security. Security we think about the least and we should think about the most. But it's a direct contact with fear. And that's why we put it aside. The reality is you can live without security for an entire human lifetime, if you're lucky, and no, never have to even think about it. Largely because in a well-run and ordered society, the majority of your security is provided for you. Your security exists not just because there's police officers out there to interfere with the commission of a crime, but the knowledge of the criminal element, if I'm caught even not in the commission, But for the commission, there's a place called jail and a worse place called prison where they'll send me and they'll keep me there. I don't want to go there. Therefore, crime is much lower with that system in place than it would be if that system were not in place. So a huge portion of the security apparatus is in place for you. And right now, while I absolutely know that looting and stuff like that is going on up in the Northeast, civil unrest, etc., I also absolutely know that the reporting of it will be hyped and focused on where it's going wrong and very little on what's going right. But it does point out that as soon as the system begins to fall apart, there's less officers in an area, you're more likely to get away with it, the danger from things like that increases. So we need to provide our own security. We do this with a variety of redundancies. We put systems in place so we can monitor our property. We, we train ourselves so that we can physically address a threat, be it with something somewhat benign like pepper spray or lethal like a shotgun. And I put it to this way to anybody that doesn't like that stance. If you don't want to get your ass blown away with buckshot, don't break in my house. Don't steal my stuff and don't threaten my family and I promise not to shoot your ass. Unless you're doing it to somebody else, in which case I may also shoot your ass. I don't want to. I pray to God I never have to do it, but I'm prepared to if I have to. That's a very American ideal. Every time I hear a politician talk about the Second Amendment and use the next words out of his mouth or sporting and target shooting and hunting, I want to literally walk up to him and smack the dog shit out of him. I really do. Second Amendment, it's not about hunting. It's not about sporting. It's not about ducks. It's about the innate right of human beings to defend themselves, their families, their property, their community, and if so be it, their nation as citizens of a republic. That's what the Second Amendment's about, and anybody that says it's about anything else, else is 100%, 100% full of shit.
And I don't trust them in regard to it at all once they've made that statement. You're pandering to bullshit when you make that statement. The Second Amendment is about the preservation of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. A people in fear cannot have life, liberty, nor shall they be able to pursue happiness with vigor. A people without fear preserve their lives, preserve their liberty, and therefore are fruitful in their pursuit of happiness. And it comes from a knowledge that you can defend yourself and those around you who are weaker when they need you. We replace the fear that someone will take what we have with the ability to provide our own security when necessary. And that fear, while never completely evaporating, because there is good in fear, it makes us pay attention, but it's mostly gone. The last, sanitation and health. I combine them because they're so intricate together that we really can't separate them. But how many people, when they go to a doctor for a checkup, are afraid they're going to find something wrong? We are afraid for our health. We don't want to die of a disease. And we certainly don't want to have a debilitating disease that takes the best of our life away in our final days. I think most of us would prefer to live a long, happy life and some night go to bed and wake up dead. I mean, that's the way I think most people would like to go out. Not even, not know it's coming, not have any idea, and just, you're done, you're tired, it's over, you've lived a long, full life, and you're ready to go. You're ready to cross over to the other side. But we don't get to live that way. And the biggest thing that takes us is, 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 is health. So one way we can replace that is by living healthier lives, taking care of ourselves, practicing functional fitness. Take a freaking walk. You know, take a walk. Take a walk long enough that when you're done with the walk, you're glad you're done. That'll probably get you a long way toward being healthier. Get off your ass and do something. But we also have to look at, in a crisis, how will we maintain that health? So we have to worry about sanitation. What would you do if your toilet wouldn't flush? You have a plan. You know, short-term and long-term plans. If it comes to it, you can dig an outhouse. I want to make sure that you can dig that deep in your, on your property. But it could come to it, but it's not, you know, a toilet seat, a bucket, some of that blue sanitation crap that they pour in porta potties and some garbage bags get you through a week or two. Keeps the stink down. It's a redundancy to put in place. Health, you know, having, you know, minerals and vitamins for long term deficiencies in food stored away. That's one way to do it. You know, making sure that you're growing your own food. Back to water, though. The biggest thing that kills people during natural disasters is diarrhea. Usually it's from cholera and dysentery. And it's usually because they're drinking contaminated water. Because if you give a human being the choice to drink contaminated water or die of dehydration, they will pick contaminated water every time. And ironically, then when they get diarrhea severely enough, they'll die of dehydration, even if they keep drinking water. That's, that's contaminated. So we have to have a sanitation plan in place. But when we put food, water, shelter, energy, security, sanitation, and health into the redundancy category, the resiliency category, where there's at least two backups to each of them that can take us at least some period forward in time till we can figure out what to do next, the fear, gone. Like David freaking Copperfield. And all of a sudden... All of that paranoia, all of that fear, all of that reactionary shit is gone. And we start focusing on what we should be, living our lives effectively when times are good. Because that's the best form of preparedness. You know, this is what we need to be doing. How do you be prepared for bad times? Use the good times to the fullest extent of what's possible. Build your life. Love your family. Love your community. If something gets in your way, kick it. Stop its freaking ass. Trust me, it's easier to do now than when the shit hits the fan. Do it now. Be bold. Be a warrior in your life. And if anybody thinks that's corny, kiss my ass. Get in my way. I'll kick your ass out of it. I don't care. That's how we are supposed to live. That's how human beings became such an advanced race we didn't get where we are 
by letting somebody else do it for us? By waiting for shit? We got where we are by freaking figuring stuff out, creating solutions and implementing them, and failing and failing and failing, and from failure learning how to succeed. That's how we got where we are. You want to be prepared, that's how you got to live. You ain't going to be prepared. I don't care how much shit you store up. If you live your life in fear, and you don't make the best use of your time while you're here, the hell are you surviving for? I mean, just go quit your job, get a place in the projects, live on food stamps, and hope that works out. You might as well, if you're not going to be bold in your life. There's no, there's no point. There's no point. And if you're one of those people that's in that situation right now, if you're not working your ass off to get out of it, I can't help you. And I never will, and no one else can ever help you either. You know, my wife and I were talking about a family member yesterday, and they need some financial help, and I'm like, just do it. And we were talking about another family member, and I'm like, I can't help them with money. I can't. Because their problem isn't monetary. It looks monetary, but the problem is them. So the best way to be prepared is we have to fix us in the here and now. So the first thing we do, I, I won't go deep into it again because I just went through the whole thing, but we have to ensure that we have our needs, uh, our, all of our needs have redundancies. Have we put redundancies in place for every need and just the needs, not the wants? You do that first. And once you build redundancy in your needs, then you start building redundancies in your wants and your luxuries. And there's nothing wrong with that either as long as you knock the needs out first. The next thing we need to be doing, we need to be building real wealth in our lives in every way that we can. And that's not just gold and silver. That's a garden. That's a beautiful home. That's a home that we're going to be able to stay in no matter what happens. That's wealth. If I can keep a roof over my head, I can, feed, I can figure out how to feed and clothe and provide water. Once I have that in place, so that's a, a form of wealth. Knowledge and skills are forms of wealth. We need to be building our, our spiritual capital, our cultural capital, our community capital, our monetary capital as well. All of that. We need to be building wealth into our lives. And if you're dead-ass broke, i got news for you. Used to be, too. Used to be, too. When I first moved to Texas, after I got out of the Army, my first job, I made $5.90 an hour packing boxes in a warehouse. And back then, if somebody told me, you're going to be wealthy one day, you know what I would have said? You're damn right I am. But I still can understand, and I can think back to how times I've questioned myself and went, will you really? Will you really? Will you really make it? And when I heard people say, well, just save money, I'm like, how the hell do I save money? I make $200 a week after the government gets their share. That's $800 a month. How? How do I save? And the answer was, you can't that way. You either have to drastically decrease your quality of life so that you can, or drastically increase your, the income side of the quotient. Those are your only two choices. Pick one, kid. Pick one. That's how we have to live our lives. We have to build wealth. And whatever it takes to do it, we have to do it because it's worth the cost. And eventually you build a life... This is the funny part. You build a life where the $800 a month would pay for everything you need. Not everything you want, but you'd actually have a surplus. Most people, you could, you know, as long as you don't buy in the trendy area with the $5,000 a year in taxes or more, you could pay property taxes on a decent house. You could buy enough food if you're smart, grow enough food. I mean, so all of a sudden you're back to a point where you could live on what you had then, but you have more. Isn't that great? It's called wealth. Wealth, in the words of Buckminster Fuller, who is one of my favorite people from history, is how far can you survive forward if all of the income in your life goes away? Survivalism, guys. See, it's just that somebody made up a word and then people decided it meant something. And changed what it really means when we look at the root. Survival, to survive, ist. When we put ist on the end of a word, it refers to an individual. So survivalist is one who intends to survive. That's what the word means when we look at it in its root. 
Just because the media painted it away, or some asshole painted it in a certain way, or somebody marketed it a certain way, doesn't change the word and its root. And that's where we build wealth, with the intent to survive forward. It's very simple. The other thing we have to do to live effectively in our lives when times are good is we must not bet on either failure or success. We can't bet on either one. We have to put redundancies in place for each contingency because there will be success and there will be failure and if you only bet on one, you will lose. No one that bets 100% on success really wins. And no one that bets 100% on failure really wins. These are the people that will tell you, I'm just running up my MasterCard and I'm getting all my stuff in place and when the shit hits the fan, that that stuff won't matter no how. Yeah, let me know how that works out for you in a couple of years when you're in bankruptcy court and the judge is asking you where all the money went and he's not just sending you off with don't worry about it and don't you don't have any restitution to pay. Yeah, let me know how that works out for you. But that's people betting only on failure. People that only bet on failure put 100% of their money in silver. Chris Dwayne, love you, man, but sorry. You know, 100%? No. No. Because you don't know what's going to happen. None of us do. But if you don't have anything set up for contingencies for failure, sooner or later, there will be some sort of failure and you will lose. And if you have no plan for anything but failure, you'll lose. So either way, you lose. I don't like to lose. I like to win. Well, the way you win is the way that smart money invests in the market. You collar a stock. You play the up and the downside and hold it. All three at the same time. You never make the huge return, but you always make a return. The damn thing pays a dividend, at least that's there. And then you sell back the collar. I can't get into that today, but if you do it right, it doesn't matter. Something's going to happen, and when it does, you're on. You're going to win, and something you got it all contingencies covered. So we have to live our life with the boldness of success and redundancies and resiliencies to address failures. Because I'm going to tell you what, guys, they might be destroying this nation. But it ain't going down easy on my watch. I intend to fight this shit all the way. And I have belief and faith in a better tomorrow. Even if there's a lot of shitty time in between now and then. But it ain't going to be magic. It ain't going to be like Patriots the coming collapse where there's going to be some kind of wide-scale Red Dawn militia war and then everybody that survives is magically going to transform into a constitutionist, constitutionalist or a libertarian. We ain't never going to have a time where everybody is one of those two things. It ain't going to happen. There will always be tremendous numbers of opinions and objective, objections and objectives and differences in opinion. It's called a republic. Get used to it. It's what we're supposed to be defending. just would be nice if we could all be not political constitutionalists, but moral constitutionalists. If it ain't there, then we ain't going to be doing it. That, with good sentinels, we can get closer to. But we got to stand before we can be a sentinel. You want to stand guard first, you got to be able to stand up. You know? That's what I'm trying to teach everybody to do is be able to stand up. I don't care if you're an 88-year-old woman, stand up. And anybody that thinks that there's no, no reason to fear an 88-year-old woman ain't never seen an angry one. I'll tell you what, I know a couple I don't want to mess with. And that's, that's what we need is that spirit in, in all of us. We also have to develop our knowledge and our skills. I mean, stuff is nice, but knowledge and skills is everything. It's, it's what you put in your heart, your mind, and your soul that really gets you forward. So be developing those. And a little side note, um, our, our 13 and 13 skills site is coming along really nice. We have a domain name. I don't want to tell you what it is yet because I don't want anybody messing with the site until it's actually ready for launch. But it's going really well, and I think by next week we'll probably have it launched out in beta mode at least. And it's going to be awesome. And that's going to be one way we as a community can, can share the concept of skills and knowledge development with people that would never even use the word survival. There will be an advertisement for, for TSP on there, but there won't be... The survival podcasts, you know, you know, across the top. It's, you know, building those skills. That's what we need to do, man. If we can build skills in people, if we can build knowledge into people, then people are less willing 
to capitulate and sacrifice liberty. Because when you say, well, no one's going to do that for you anymore, the answer is, good, I don't need you to. Freaking two-year-olds that know they can tie their own shoes now are smarter than the average adult today. Wait, no, I can do it myself. And yet we call a guy whenever something's wrong. This is my rule on calling a guy to fix it. If I really don't have the time, or it's really going to impact the value of my home and I'm not going to do a job that looks good, or it can kill me. Anything else, I try to do it myself first. Anything else. <laughs> you know? And so I don't mess with electricity because I'm not an electrician and I'm a survivalist. And survivalists are smart. Real ones are smart, not stupid. The guy in Washington stuck his rattlesnake in his mouth. He might look like he's uh, uh, brave, but what he really is is stupid. And when it bit his tongue and he nearly died, that proved it. Right? That's not what a survivalist does. Don't go out and mess with poisonous snakes unless we know what we're doing. And then we do it with, with, with a, a certain amount of training, knowledge, and caution. And you're talking to a guy that has many times in his life messed with venomous snakes. But I know what to do and what not to do. And it's still a risk. And I'm not being a survivalist when I do that. I'm breaking my own rules. But I'm also breaking my own rules when, when I take you know, live fire training and I'm running with a firearm in my hand that's loaded. Right? You know, I mean, life comes with risks. And without risk, life is pretty damn boring. It's mitigation of these risks that we're looking to accomplish. And we get that from knowledge and skills. Next thing we need to be doing, learn from others, but don't try to be who they are. Don't try to be me. Don't try to be Cody Lundin. We're two very different people. That's why I picked him and me, right? But, you know, don't go start running around with no shoes on in a desert with, with braids in your hair unless that's who you are. If that's who you are, God bless you, go do it. You know, but don't try to be a podcaster as a business unless you actually like doing that. <laughs> see, whatever it is you see in other people that you can learn from them and apply to your own life, take that, but put it into your own life your own way. Make it about you and your family and your community. Personalize it. And that which does not fit, leave to the side. You know, that's that's how you, you I like Jack, except when he talks, then don't listen to me when I talk about that. Or do, hear the other opinion, consider it, and then do whatever you want anyway. One day you might find out I'm right, one day I might find out I'm wrong. That's life. That's being able to learn from others even when we disagree vehemently on certain things. That's not writing people off because, well, there's this one issue that's very important to me and I can't deal with anybody that disagrees with me on that issue. Well, there goes half of society. I'm sorry. You know, that doesn't really work out for survival either. It's not very community building now, is it? Being able to get along with others is important. And part of that is realizing we can learn from others without trying to be who they are. Next, trust yourself more than anyone else. Trust yourself. When you're scared... Sometimes trust the fear. Sometimes the fear is telling you something. But when you when you really sit back and you're leaning one way or another in a decision and you're like wrapped up in it emotionally, decouple emotionally from it. Make up a name that's not your name. So with me, I would say Dave. Dave is making a decision about X, Y, and Z. If he does X... These are the things that might happen to Dave, and these are the things that could be good and bad. If he does Y, same thing. If he does Z, same thing. If I was going to you know, talk to Dave and help him make a decision, what would I tell Dave? That's what I need to tell myself. Whatever that is, trust it. Trust it. Don't do it emotionally, though. And I'm serious. Give, it the, give yourself another name. Truly, because in your head, it will, it will become that. It will stop being you the second you do that. Sometimes it might even help to change the sex of the name. To further, further distance yourself from the emotional attachment. Mary. And if your name is Mary, say Fred. Fred is considering. Pick a name that you don't even know anybody close that has the name. If you're looking for a name and you're thinking, I know people with every common name, freaking call them Ichabod. Right? The only person I know named Ichabod was Ichabod Crane. You know what that's from, right? If you don't, 
Ah, you were ripped off of good stories when you were a kid. So call it Ichabod. Ichabod is considering, and then trust yourself. Because you'll give Ichabod the best advice you're capable of. Then have enough courage and faith in yourself to follow it. And the most important thing isn't even going to sound like survivalism. But it's the most important advice I can give you toward living your life in a bold, empowered, and prepared way. Learn from the past, but live in the now and the future. Whatever you've done, whatever you've messed up, whatever somebody else messed up 200 years ago, learn from it, let it the frick go. There are entire segments of our society that based on wrongs that were done to them are living 200 years ago. Today is today. Tomorrow will come. The past will not be repeated, only emulated. We can study the past for a lot of reasons. People tell you in school, study the past, because if we don't learn from it, we're doomed to repeat it in the future. I tell you, study the past, because you need to learn from it, because in the future, some dumbass will do it again. You need to be prepared to deal with it. But when it does happen again, it'll be different. It won't be the same. And you'll have the opportunity to do something when it's in the present or pending in the future that you can never do with the past. React to it, overpower it, adapt to it, change it, prevent it. Improve it. If it's a good thing. But there ain't jack diddly shit you can do about anything that was completed one second ago. You know, you, you have consequences maybe on the way that you can mitigate and deal with and compensate for. If it was a mistake, you can go back and you can correct it if it's still in that time frame. But you really can't change it. If you heat up the burner of your stove till it's glowing hot red, stick your finger on it, burn the shit out of it, you're going to deal with the burn. Nothing will change the fact that you did that one second ago. So why the hell are you worried about what happened one day ago? One year ago, one decade ago, or one century ago. Why are you worried about anything other than from a pure knowledge perspective that happened before you were freaking born? Not only ain't there jack shit you can do about it, there's never been jack shit you could have done about it. You have never had any opportunity to influence jack diddly shit that happened before you were born. And I'm going to assume that you probably weren't the most influential person in the world other than with your parents when you were six months old. So until you were grown and had some knowledge and some capabilities and abilities, you got another freaking 10 years probably. Maybe a 10-year-old kid can be influential in some way. And there's little stories of kids that dial 911 and I know all that. But in the big scheme of things, you know, it's unreasonable for us to expect our children to fix the problems we've created. When they grow up and they're no longer children, they'll probably have to. But that's under our control. That's tomorrow. That's now. That's not the past. Do not live in the past. Do not be married to the ideas of the past. Do not overly be nostalgic of the past. There's many wonderful things we've lost that I want to reclaim, but I don't want to reclaim them by going back to them. I want to reclaim them by seizing them and dragging them forward into the future with us. That's the future for the prepared. That's what power's about. That's what integrity's about. That's what building wealth is about. That's what taking care of others by first assuring your ability to care for yourself is all about. That's why being a survivalist and being prepared is a moral decision. Because when you can stand, you can stand guard. And when you can stand, you can pick others up. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Seeing our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.
Revolution is you.